Back when trees would never decay Sugar canes were only used for books There was only ever one type of tree Until Notch announced the 1.2 And then suddenly around the world Everyone got excited Squids would be in Minecraft 1.2 The squids are completely useless Just be glad it's them, not wolves <laughs> Spare a thought for the squids When you build your waterfalls You drown them, stab them, watch them die What did they do to you? Spread the message around the world Squids are people too, oh yeah Squids are people too Well, hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, and I am not an animal expert. Hello, I am Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. And today, we are talking about the squid. The squiddly, yeah. squiddly squid. But first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Back in October of last year, a captain and a diver on a research vessel in Norway encountered a large alien-looking blob in the water that turned out to be a giant squid egg sack. That picture kind of made the rounds, and it is terrifying-looking. Those egg sacks are a very rare sight to see because they are generally produced in very deep waters, they start sinking almost immediately after they are made, and they generally don't last all that long. And there are those that have looked at the video and the pictures and think that this is actually a spent egg sack. Like, it doesn't have any more eggs in it. Mm. There are pictures and videos showing divers swimming around this thing, and it looks like the opening scene to, like, a really terrible underwater alien horror movie. <laughs> They're just squid eggs. Just squid eggs, but did you see the picture of it? Yeah, it looks fine. It looks like a big, giant <laughs> egg sack. I don't know what's so terrifying. <laughs> and I don't know. I guess I've just not—I've never seen too many egg sacks. It looks terrifying to me. Mm. And I'm also afraid of like deep water things. Like that's just whole a whole other world down there. Ah, it is, but I mean, you don't—you're never gonna go there, so. No. <laughs> no, but I'm still terrified. <laughs> I I can't explain my brain to you. <laughs> uh, but would you eat it? <laughs> would I eat it? Uh, oh boy! I'm gonna Is it say in your maybe. Food box, you know. Maybe. <laughs> you had that cheap vodka to wash it down with, oh, maybe. Brother. Oh. <laughs> If you don't know what she's talking about, that is the Paul's Food Box video that is a Patreon-only reward. And uh, I, I drank a very unwise amount of very, 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 very bad vodka. That wasn't the point, so, yeah. though. The, the point was you were tasting things that needed a palate cleanser of, like, an industrial... <laughs> oh. oh, boy, that did the trick, too. Hachi machi. <laughs> Back to the egg sack. <laughs> as far as as far as what kind of squid created this thing, nobody really knows that either. There are mm -hmm. three species of squid that are known to live in that body of water. One of those species has been observed brooding its eggs, so it's not that one. And you really can't tell the species of squid just by its eggs. The research vessel tweeted that it was the egg sack of a, quote, ten-armed squid which really wasn't helpful at all because all squids have ten arms. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a cool little article. Terrifying picture for me. Apparently not for Donna. Uh, no. Mm -mm. I mean... No. 
I don't find nature that scary. Not at that size. <laughs> That's the little guys that'll get you. <laughs> That's true. You know, you're not wrong. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, here's a reminder. Go to varmints.podbean.com for links to the audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. Uh, we have a Pinterest board. Yay! And one of our var minions is going to take it over. Uh, you know who you are. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you so much for Thank you. taking this over for us. And Also, if you want Varmint's merchandise, go over to Redbubble and put our name into the search engine. And you will find all kinds of wonderful merchandise. It's mostly going to be cups and t-shirts and stuff, but, you know, if you're really, really dedicated to the idea of getting a pair of Varmint's leggings, let us know and we'll, uh, we'll make that happen for you. Yeah. A bath mat, shower curtain. <laughs> a clock. <laughs> Any, anything you could not possibly want our logo on, you can get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not going to be in the merchandise on display, but you know, if you want it, <laughs> yeah. you let us know. <laughs> yeah, just ask. All right. Hey, if you like our show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We're everywhere. Podcasts are found and word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. Now let's go learn about squids. Squiddly, squiddly, squids. Have you ever wondered about animals? What do they look like? Where do they live? Why are some of their legs also hands? Well, we have. So it's time to learn about animals. Yes, so we are learning about squid today. Squid are cephalopods, just like octopus and cuttlefish and the chambered nautilus. We did an episode about octopus way, way, way back when. Way. I think it's like a single digit episode. Yep. I wasn't on the show even at that time. So That was BD, before mm -hmm. Donna. Before Donna, yep. We also will do one about cuttlefish in the future because they deserve their whole own show. Yeah, definitely. It's Squid have elongated mantles, which is its ma their main body. Large right. eyes, eight arms, and two tentacles. Many species have fins at the end of the mantle, which are used for swimming and guidance and all that good stuff. And that's what normally when you see a picture of a squid, you see those two little fins at the top of their pointy little mantle. Yeah. There are around 375 species of squid that live in every body of saltwater around the world. Only one species, the brief squid, is a partial exception because it can tolerate brackish water. Right. We talked about the giant squid in an earlier episode, and those, of course, are the largest squid. They're estimated to grow to 30 to 40 feet long or 10 to 13 meters. The pygmy squid grows to be a whopping 16 millimeters or a half an inch long, and they are actually really cute. Aw, a teeny squid. Little, little tiny squid. They're, they're so cute. Yes. There are no species of squid that are listed as endangered or vulnerable by the IUCN. And this is probably because they don't live very long and it's really, really hard to count squid. So very often there's just not enough data on squid to know if they're in trouble or not. Right. Squid have been around for a very, very long time. Fossils that have been found indicate that they have been swimming around for some five to six hundred million years, which is amazing. That is cool. Nobody really knows where the word squid originated. People have guessed that it might be a sailor's variant of the word squirt. Interesting. Male and female squids are just called male and female and baby squid. I'm going to say squids a lot, but I don't think that's the correct plural now. I think it's, I think just, it's squid. just squid. Yeah. yeah. Baby squids should be called squidlings. Squidlings. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> A group of squid is called a school or a shoal, although there is a petition on change.org to make squad the collective noun for squid. Oh, well, it should be. I, I totally signed that petition. I'm signing it. Let's link it in our show notes. <laughs> we, I will need do that. To be squad. 
a squadron of squid or a squad like of squid. Squad, I love it. Squad of squid, the squid squad. <laughs> I, I thought it would already be squad. Like, how has nobody done that yet? I don't know, but it is obviously important and needs to be done. <laughs> These, this is the change that needs to happen in our <laughs> country gotta, right now. You know, why not? There's, you know, it's such a small thing. Really? I think it's just do it, you know. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> How could anybody object to that? <laughs> I don't know. That's a squad of squid. <laughs> All right, we're going to start. I was going to talk about actually the fact I'll I'll mention two things. We're going to I'm going to talk about the ink that cephalopods okay. use. But I wanted to mention briefly, there's not a lot to say about it, so it can't be a whole topic on its own. But did you know that squid have three hearts? A lot of, a lot of cephalopods, I think all of them do, I'm not sure, but I know squids do. They have three hearts. They have one that is responsible for the blood that goes all around their body, and then they have two separate hearts that are dedicated to oxygenating their gills. And I never even thought that gills might need some dedicated heart action, but I suppose that probably makes sense. It's probably a good design choice. I wonder if other animals have it as well, and I'm going to find out later. All right. Uh, <laughs> so what we're going to talk about is the ink. The cephalopod ink is dark in color, and that's because it is it has a lot of melanin in it, along with other things. Um, but they, most species of cephalopod that employ this use it as an escape me mechanism. The only ones that don't have it are the nautilus and the carina, which are the deep sea octopuses. But the rest of them can all do ink. The ink is released from ink sacs that are located between the gills, surprisingly enough. I would have thought they would have been a butt thing, but it's not. It's like, more, yeah, it's gills. It's not a butt thing. Nope. <laughs> it's not a butt thing, it's a gill thing <laughs> I thought for sure it would be a butt thing I know, but it's not, it's a gill thing <laughs> I'm almost disappointed <laughs> I don't... <laughs> It should be a butt thing Who did this? <laughs> Add this that to no change.org <laughs> <Yeah>. need... <laughs> It's not though <laughs> Okay, yep. alright Yep it's dispersed more widely when they release it with a jet of water from their siphon. It's so pretty much it's just used, like I said, for getting away from stuff. So pretty interesting. But two distinct behaviors have been observed in inking cephalopods. The first is they release large amounts of ink into the water in order to create a dark, diffuse cloud like a smokescreen that can obscure their predator's view and lets them get away quickly. And then the second thing is to re release pseudomorphs or false bodies, smaller clouds of ink with greater mucus content, and that allows them to hold their shape for longer. So these are expelled a little bit away from the cephalopod and then it releases several pseudomorphs and uh, that change color in conjunction with their releases. And this is basically, it, it sounds like it's like a, I don't know if you play World of Warcraft, there's a spell where you can c make copies of yourself. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> if you're a mage that, that makes um, the enemy sort of confused about which one you actually are. And that's, that's what it thinks, that's what it is. It, it makes them, the predators are observed uh, mistakenly um, attacking the pseudomorphs. So that allows the sequel <laughs> to escape. This is oh, often referred to as the Blanche inkjet maneuver. <laughs> oh, what a, that's a fancy name. I know. Wow. <laughs> Pretty Who's cool, Blanche, huh? Blanche, I wonder. Yeah. Well, hey, I, Blanche. I, Guess what we're going to name after you. <laughs> I don't know why they chose that, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cephalopod ink includes a number of chemicals in a variety of different concentrations, and it depends on the species, what it's made up of. But mainly it's melanin and mucus. Lovely. 
It can also contain uh, tyrosinase, dopamine, and L-dopa, as well as small amounts of free amino acids, including taurine, aspartic acid, glutamic acid, alanine, and lysine. And it is used by humans and has been for lots of things. Guess for what it's been used for. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is traditional medicine. Ah, that's funny because the first thing that should come to mind is ink. It's actually used as ink. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was way too obvious. I know, but it, that's, that's why... <laughs> That's why that should but, be the first thing you think of, because that is the thing that it is mostly used for. In fact, I haven't found any traditional medicine using squid ink in the list. There's probably some out there. Well, no, there, but there's but, like dopamine and, and... Yeah, but we've only known about dopamine for a tiny little sliver of time compared to how long we've been using cephalopod ink. And mostly we use it for ink. It was used... In the past, for ink for pens and quills, um, the Greek name for cuttlefish and the taxonomic name of the cuttlefish genus is sepia, which is associated with the brown color of the cuttlefish ink. So, you know, it's, that's actually cuttlefish, but yeah. So modern use of cephalopod ink is limited to cooking, mostly in Japan and the Mediterranean, where it's used as a food coloring. And a flavoring in pastas and sauces. It's generally obtainable from fishmongers and from gourmet food suppliers and widely available markets in Japan. And if you go on YouTube, you can, they will show you how to harvest uh, squid ink. <laughs> and it, it, I wonder if it's more than just grab a squid and give it a little squeeze and out comes the ink. <laughs> I didn't watch the video, but uh, yeah, I think it's probably just make it just make just, it ink. Yeah, harass the squid, make it ink. Um, yeah. Ta-da! But if you're going to do it yourself, it's because you're going to eat a squid, usually, so uh, they'll probably just just have the, the squid that you're going to eat, and they'll do it, you know, in preparation to cook it, so. Sure. Yeah, I don't really understand how to use squid ink in cooking, so it's just something that people do, and I know they do it. Doop -doo -doo. Yeah. Um. So there, <laughs> there, there have been some studies that show that cephalopod ink is toxic to some cells, including some tumor cells, and it's being researched in mice for anti-tumor activity against meth A fibrosarcoma. Uh, however, it remains unclear if any of this anti-tumor activity of squid ink can be obtained from oral consumption. Probably not, would be my guess, because it usually isn't. And uh, they're still studying it. So it's always nice to have more things in the toolbox against cancer, for sure. So, But uh, that's, that's where that research is happening. And there you go. So that's the ink of the squid, ink of the shivalopod. That's interesting. I wonder if it's like skunks use their spray just kind of as a, as a last resort because there's yeah. like a reload time that takes a long time. I wonder if that's the same with squid. Yeah, or I'm using just the Wikipedia ink. article, so I wasn't, I, and it doesn't mention anything about that, but I would be surprised if, if, if it was something they can renew quickly. But maybe they can. I don't know. Maybe it depends hmm. on the squid, too. It depends on the animal, maybe. So... Yeah. I'm not sure. Interesting. Hey, everybody, just want to break in here and let you know that I looked it up. And uh, cephalopods carry a reserve storage of these, you know, ink little cartridges for emergencies. They do have the ability to adjust the mixture so that the ink cloud is either really sm small and dense or it's a wide open smokescreen blast. But uh, once those reserves are used up, um, the animal really can't make enough on the fly to take out another shot. It takes a while to refill the storage tanks. I couldn't really find any studies about how long the refill period is, and I'm sure it's just different across octopi and squid and... Am I supposed to call them octopi? I don't remember. Octopodes. And squid and cuttlefish and all that. So we, we don't know uh, about the reload time, but they just can't make you know, ink after ink after ink. They can't do that. Okay, back to the show. So I just want to go over tentacles and arms in cephalopods in general, because 
I know I get them confused all the time, and I probably will, even after this, I will still get them confused, and perhaps some of you listening, you'll get them confused too, and that's okay. Yep. All cephalopods have arms, but not all cephalopods have tentacles. And I think where people get mixed up is when they see the suckers and they automatically call those appendages tentacles. Right. And like I said, I'm, I'm totally guilty of this. Cephalopod arms and tentacles have suckers that help with grasping food items and attaching to things. And even though those two terms seem to be interchangeable, the placement of those suckers determines whether they are attached to an arm or to a tentacle. The easiest way to spot the difference between an arm and a tentacle is that arms have suckers along the entire length, and tentacles only have suckers at the tip. So in the case of octopuses, they only have arms. Right. Octopuses do not have tentacles. Interesting. Yeah. Squid almost always have eight arms and two tentacles. There's, and I, will, I don't want to say always, I want to say almost always, because there's always that little outlier... Yeah. But squid, in general, eight arms, two tentacles. And octopuses are eight arms, right? Eight arms, correct. Right. Oh, there you go. I learned a thing. Yeah, I did too. In a regular old squid, those two tentacles are the, the longer things. Those kind of stick out way longer than the legs. Mm-hmm. What tentacles do is pretty straightforward. There are suckers on them at the tips. So just like arms, uh, they grasp prey and they guide that prey in towards the arm and the mouth. The tips of squid tentacles can also be used as like fishing lures to attract prey. So they kind of wave the end of it out there a little bit, make it twitch a little bit, and then boom, they'll grab whatever is, whatever is dumb enough to try to bite that. Squid tentacles in some species are also its sex organs. So they use them to make little squid and a squid can also use its tentacles to grasp onto a predator and then self-amputate its legs, tentacles, whatever it has to self-amputate to escape. And those parts can regenerate. Disclaimer time! The Farmers Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Donna and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves. So... They're going to do it anyway. Squid. I Usually octopuses get all the credit for being the smarty pants cephalopods, but the squid are, they're equally as smart. They're pretty amazing. Super smarties. <laughs> they're smarty pants and they don't even wear pants. Yep. I don't remember what I gave octopuses back in the day. That's been three years ago. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's been three years ago. I don't remember what I gave them. I think I probably gave them like an eight or a nine because they're scary intelligent. It's a good thing they don't breathe there. That's how intelligent they are. I mean, I would give them... Uh, I, have they been observed using tools? Yes. Right? Uh, yeah. Do they use a tool to make a tool? No. So, I mean, still seven or eight, right? Super smart. Sure. So, Super smart. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. That's just my own little <laughs> list. Seven is uh, you've used a tool. Eight is, or seven or eight is you've used a tool. Eight, I think eight and nine is you've been observed using a tool to make a tool, which is pretty advanced. And then, of course, you have ten, which is humans who can make tools to make tools to make tools to make tools to make tools. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are going to talk about squid and pop culture and a couple other places, but we're going to do that right after I tell you about Patreon. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash varmints, and uh, where you can go, and if you give us as, as little as a dollar a month, as little as a dollar a month, we'll get you an early release when we can manage that. You will be treated to my new video special, which is called Paul's Food Box. I mentioned it before. That is where I mm -hmm. uh, find weird foods and I eat them for your amusement. And I tell you if they are in my food box or not. And it's a lot of fun. Right. Uh, what else? You might get uh, you might get the occasional 
limited edition sticker. Yep. You might get extra episodes that we might do in the future. You get stuff for only a dollar a month. And we want to thank everybody that is currently donating to our Patreon. We really do appreciate it. And if you want to join them, once again, it is patreon.com slash varmints. Hooray! Hey there, everyone. Paul and Donna are a couple of nerds just like you. And they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time. On movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games. Well, my pop culture pick this week is a video game called Splatoon. Splatoon is a third person... (laughs) shooter video game developed and published by Nintendo for the Wii U. A sequel called Splatoon 2 is available on the Nintendo Switch. Splatoon was the first completely original intellectual property from Nintendo in about 15 years, which I did not know. So Nintendo has always had new Mario, Zelda, Kirby, Metroid, and Donkey Kong games. And those are like specifically Nintendo characters, right? And then in the early 2000s, Nintendo introduced Pikmin, not Pokemon, but Pikmin and Animal Crossing. And uh, that was it until 2017. And then they introduced Splatoon. Also, the fact that it's a third person shooter is kind of remarkable because Nintendo isn't known for those types of games. Right. Yeah, it's it's weird for Nintendo. So in 2013, one of the developers for Animal Crossing created a four versus four territory control game, and he made a little prototype. And once the approval was given to make a full game, the team wanted to start incorporating squid and ink. Splatoon is primarily a team-based third-person shooter. Players control inklings, which are little creatures who shapeshift between human and squid forms. In humanoid form, the Inklings can use a variety of weapons to shoot ink in their team's color, which can be used to cover the environment or to splat opposing players. In squid form, the Inklings can swim through the ink of their own color on the ground or walls or through grates, and that hides them from the enemy and it also lets them reload their weapon, which is really cool. An Inkling has to avoid enemy ink as it will slow them down or even do damage. Players can use their ink to try and splat their opponents, which sends them back to their team's starting point. So nobody really dies. They just get splatted and get they get sent back to the start. Okay. Each player has a primary ink weapon, a secondary weapon, and a special attack that gets charged up by covering enough surfaces with ink. Primary weapons are all based on different types of firearms. So there's like the shotgun and there's the sniper rifle and their little pistol ink shooters. As you win matches and gain experience, you get in-game cash, and that can be spent on weapon sets or clothes and accessories that improve the player's stats. So Inklings are super popular, and they now appear in other Nintendo games like Super Mario Maker, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and Super Smash Bros. Nice! Even though it's a shooter, there's no blood, nobody actually dies, and even when a a player gets splatted, it's not particularly violent. They just kind of go, blah, and they get sent back to the start. Uh, Despite this, despite being a shooter where there's no violence, it has gotten really, really good reviews, and it is so fun. We have it here at home. It's a lot of fun to play. The music is great. The Inklings are really cute. Uh, It's fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. Splatoon, if you have a Wii U or a Switch, go out and check that out. Time to play Splatoon. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Well, I am going to talk about the Kraken. (laughs) 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 Wow. Is that is that nice like creepy music? (laughs) No, that's great. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) okay the kraken is a legendary cephalopod like monster of gigantic size and they come from scandinavian folklore 
In the Norse sagas, the Kraken dwells off the coasts of Norway and Greenland and terrorizes nearby sailors. Authors over the years have postulated that the legend may have originated from sightings of giant squids that can grow up to 13 to 15 meters or 40 to 50 feet long. The sheer size and fearsome appearance attributed to the Kraken have made it a common ocean-dwelling monster for various fictional works. It's been the focus of many a superstitious sailor tale uh, passing in the North Atlantic, especially sailors from the Nordic countries due to their proximity and its Scandinavian origin. So this is a, a very fun thing. The word Kraken is taken from the Swedish and Norwegian languages. In both Norwegian and Swedish, the Kraken is the definite form of Kraka. That's K-R-A-K-E. Kraka or Kraki or something. It's a word designating an unhealthy animal or something twisted. Cognate with the English crook and crank. In modern German, Kraka... Cracker? I I keep making it once to sound like cracker, (laughs) and it's not correct. It's not right at all. But cracker, croca, croca? I don't know. Plural and declined singular kraken means octopus, but it can also refer to the legendary kraken. It's also an old Swedish euphemism for whales, used when the original word became taboo, as it was believed it could summon them. (laughs) Huh. That was a long time ago. So after returning from Greenland, the anonymous author of the old Norwegian natural history work known as Konungs Skugsa. Skugsja. Skugsja? I can't. Sure. Right. Sorry. That works. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> but it was uh, written in 1250-ish. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> uh, the physical, it describes in detail the physical characteristics and feeding behavior of the Kraken. And the narrator proposed that there must be only two in existence, stemming from the observation that the beasts have always been sighted in the same parts of the Greenland Sea. And uh, it's really interesting. And this is a quote from the little t- medieval report of this guy. There is a fish that is still unmentioned, which is scarcely advisable to speak about on account of its size, because it will seem to most people incredible. There are only a few who can speak upon it clearly, because it is seldom near land, nor appears where it may be seen by fishermen. And I suppose there are not many of this sort of fish in the sea. Most often in our tongue, we call it hafgufa. Kraken in example uh, Lawrence Larson's translation. Nor can I conclusively speak about its length in L's because the times he has shown before men he has appeared more like land than like a fish. Neither have I heard that one had been caught or found dead. It seems to me as if there must be no more than two in the oceans and I deem that it is unable to reproduce itself for I believe they're always the same ones. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> like he's trying to do an actual scientific observation and he's just filling it with <clears throat> baloney. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, anyway, very, very fun. And uh, there is a 13th century version of an old Icelandic saga which I will not even pr- I will not even try to pronounce. Um, that takes the protagonist through the Greenland Sea, and there they spot two massive sea, sea monsters called Hafgufa and Lingbacher. So that's fun as well. Yeah. Um, it says Hafgufa. I'll read just a tiny bit from that. It says now I will tell you that there are two sea monsters. One is called Hafgufa, and the other Lingbacher. The Lingbacher is the largest whale in the world, but the Hafgufa is the largest monster in the sea. It is the nature of this creature to swallow men and ships, and even whales and ah! everything else within reach. <laughs> ah, oh no, Hafgufa. <laughs> It's 
stays submerged for days, then rears its head and nostrils above the surface and stays that way, at least until the change of the tide. And now the sound that we just sailed through was the space between its jaws and its nostrils and lower jaw were those rocks that appeared in the sea. That goes on like that. I love it. Sailors, man, I'm telling you. Crazy. But, so, (laughs) a little more recently, Alfred Tennyson (coughs) wrote an irregular sonnet about the Kraken that describes a massive creature that dwells at the bottom of the sea. And it's not a very long poem, but I am going to point you to a version of it that has been animated by this really fun guy called the Lone Animator. And he has had his friend John Hutch do the voice for it. And it is a two minute and 48 second long video. We're going to clip, we clipped about 15 seconds of it out. We encourage you to go to YouTube and watch this little video because it is really superb and just super interesting and fun. And here it is. Here's a tiny little sample. the thunders of the upper deep. Far, far beneath the abysmal sea is ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep. The Kraken sleepeth. Oh, the Kraken sleepeth. (laughs) Yeah, uh, just a little teeny bit. And again, because it's not a very long poem, so you really need to go and just watch the video. So, yeah, super yep. amazing. The animation is a, is so good. Oh my gosh, this guy is so <clears throat> good. So, really cool. Very fun. Yep. Totally interesting. The Kraken. Yep. We'll put a link to that YouTube video in our show notes. Yes. Cool. And there's all sorts of fun artwork. If you look on the internet and just do a Google image search for the Kraken, you'll see all sorts of old-timey etchings, and uh, it's just the best. People are like, this animal is scary. Let's use it in stories. (laughs) (laughs) Super cool. Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am going to eat it. Get your sneaky little fingers out of here, Josh. (laughs) Fried calamari. Yeah. Fried calamari with some little... Get away from my calamari. Yeah. Little little, uh, marinara sauce to dip it in. I've had it with um, a raspberry jalapeno jelly as well. Oh, really good. That sounds great. Yes. Gosh, I know, right? It yeah. does. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing more to say. It's in the no. food box. No, well, no, there is there is one more thing to say. Oh, yeah? What if you had squid ink in your in your pasta or something like that? I mean, I'd probably try it. I've never had it before, so I don't know. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Okay, let's do this then. I don't know. <laughs> Well, hello, Paul Don. It's me, Billy Lee Campbell. And I'm here to ask you a question. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Well, let's help you win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. Back to you, Paul and Donna. Old Billy Lee Campbell, he's not touching squid. No, I wouldn't imagine so. Though you never know, you know? No. He's one of those guys that's like, I ain't going to eat no sushi. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to find out. We'll have He's to ask not him. squid. We'll have to find Billy Lee Campbell and ask if the squid is in his food box. This week, when I was doing the research on this, I kept coming across the Humboldt squid. Mm. And it's a really, really amazing species of squid so i'm just going to tell you a little bit about the humboldt squid it's a really squiddy squid it's a very squiddy squid (laughs) yes it's also known as the jumbo squid the jumbo flying squid or diablo rojo which means red devil 
It is a large predatory squid that lives in the waters of the Humboldt Current, which flows off the west coast of South America. Humboldt squid grow rapidly, very, very rapidly, and they likely live only for a single year. Ooh. During that year, those squid get business done. Humboldt squid reproduce by internal fertilization, and they lay large egg masses of at least one million eggs. Wow. In one year, one year of life, females might lay as many as 20 million eggs, and that is the most of any known cephalopod uh, of all of them. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. As soon as they hatch, Humboldt squid grow from about one millimeter to well over one meter, or about three feet, in just one year. To support a growth rate that high, Humboldt squid are voracious predators, and they have been known to decimate populations of small fishes, or when large numbers of them are around each other. Dun dun dun! dun, dun. Cannibalism. Oh no! <laughs> Humboldt squid are covered in specialized color cells called chromatophores that allow them to rapidly and repeatedly change color. Humboldt squid alternate between two colors, red and white. Other colors are possible, but they happen so quickly that our dumb little human eyes can't see them. This flashing behavior is used to both communicate with others, although scientists who study these squid don't really understand what they are communicating to each other. They are just kind of flashing each other. And also that color is used to display warning coloration to other species. Here's a really interesting thing. The Humboldt squid can turn itself blood red. Because this wavelength of light doesn't travel very far underwater, a dark red squid is effectively invisible. That's amazing. It is. On very rare occasions, individuals have been known to act very aggressively towards scuba divers who were diving in groups of Humboldt squid that were feeding. These interactions are probably a result of mistaken identity by the squid, and unfortunately those encounters are labeled as attacks, and when that happens you get sensationalistic TV shows like the one on the National Geographic Wild Channel. Uh, which you would be surprised that they would run a show like this. But no, I'm not. Not anymore. No. <laughs> yeah. The, the show's called Man-Eating mm. Super Squid, colon, A Monster Invasion. Uh, that's sad, but yeah. their science is generally okay, but do be careful about the really weird pop culture stuff that they're doing now, because they can't help it. They're, they're Murdoch yeah. property now, so. Yep. That's a whole political thing. We don't want to really get into no. it, but uh, yeah. but it's important for you to know that they are generally still a good source. But if it's something sort of flashy like that, then that's probably not the science department of the publication. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And like in that show, the Humboldt squid is referred to as a real life Kraken and as a global threat. Oh, I'm not making that up. That squid is a global threat. So, yeah, just uh, uh, stay away from stuff like that. All that Shark Week stuff and that, you know, when you see animal documentaries with those types of titles, you're not going to get accurate yeah. information. Yeah, I'm it's just not saying. a documentary. That's just a... Which is really... That's unfortunate because National Geographic still does very solid work. Really solid work. And I would never say to stop supporting them. But just be careful and realize that there's some people in the background there that are you know trying to trying to increase the magazine's sort of you know <clears throat> i don't know what they're trying to do just make it make more money somehow or something i'm not really sure but but uh yeah it's it's unfortunate because yeah we're going to editorialize here for a minute they don't really have to make themselves that much more interesting they're yeah. already interesting they don't have to do the yes. sensationalistic crap why would you like you don't have to do that Nat Geo you yeah, don't have to do that I think the people who work at Nat Geo <laughs> for years and have been doing all the good work they probably know but yeah this is a recent thing and I don't know you yeah. may want to edit a whole bunch of this or you may not I don't know we don't really talk politics on our show but this is this is unfortunate and it and it, it just I just want to say the magazine's still usually pretty good so just be careful. You guys know how to think critically, so, you know. Yeah, and it's not, we're, I mean, it's not political. It's just this growing trend of taking things that are interesting 
and and captivating in and of themselves and just trying to doctor them up to be sensational and to try to garner even right. more interest, which is really yeah, strange. Is. I don't understand it. Like Yeah, just keep going to the magazine and you guys know how to think <laughs> critically and how to examine information, so do that. You should with everybody, but uh, yeah, there you yep. go. So I'm going to be using uh, some National Geographic resources just now to talk about the giant squid. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Giant squid. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Uh, They are really cool. They can get to be up to like 33 feet long. Ah, 440 pounds. They, their size, they have on the National Geographic page <laughs> that talks about them, their size relative to a bus. They are the same size as like a standard American school bus <laughs> in length. Wow. I know. Holy moly. So the giant squid it, it is insane. largely, mostly a mystery still. Um, it is the biggest invertebrate on planet Earth. And the largest of these that was ever found measured 59 feet in length and weighed almost a ton. That's crazy. Good lord. And I didn't do the oh, it's a I didn't lot of... do the conversions on this. I'm sorry guys. I It's very it's big. Very very big. I can't do it in my head. Bigger than a squid should yes. be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they they live in really inhospitable deep sea habitats and that makes them, I mean, it's not inhospitable for them, but it is for us and that makes them difficult to study. (laughs) (laughs) So almost everything scientists know about them is um, from carcasses that have washed up on beaches or been hauled in by fishermen's nets by accident. Um, The scientists who were studying the creatures have been really lucky in the last few years though because In 2004, Japanese researchers took the first images ever of a live giant squid. And I'm sure you remember that because it was all over the news at the time. I do. And also in late 2006, scientists with Japan's National Science Museum caught and brought to the surface a live 24-foot female giant squid. Amazing. So with their cousin, the colossal squid, they have the largest eyes in the animal kingdom and that measure something like 10 inches in diameter. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like dinner plate size. Yeah, really. It's, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So their big eyes allow them to detect objects in the lightless depths where most other animals wouldn't be able to see anything. Pretty crazy. Like other squid species, they have eight arms and two longer feeding tentacles that help them bring food to their mouths. And their diet probably consists of fish, shrimp, and other squid, and some suggest they might even attack and eat small whales because of the tentacle marks they find on those guys. They maneuver their big old bodies with fins, and they seem that the fins seem pretty small for their size, but they work just fine. And they use their funnel as a propulsion system, drawing water into their mantle or the main part of their body and then forcing it out the back. Pretty cool. Scientists don't know enough about these guys to say what their range is, but giant squid carcasses have been found in all of the world's ocean. Pretty cool, right? Amazing. Wow. No kidding. I thought they were just in like the really, really deep. They parts are of the ocean. all over the world. I mean, all of the world's oceans have deep parts, so I suppose they just kind of run around from oh, deep part to deep part. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So here's some extra facts that were on the site. They said, did you know that a giant squid's eye can be as big as a beach ball? Wow. Wow. They have sharp parrot-like beats and three hearts. Beaks, not beats. (laughs) Water shoots from a funnel beneath their eyes, propelling it forward or back. And they pulse through the ocean by contracting their bodies. So that's pretty cool. And I want to send you over to... Uh, a really recent documentary. It's from early 2019, and it is National Geographic, but it's a it's an actual science one with scientists in it. Not like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the pop culture, you know. Ooh, the terrible giant squid. It's not that. It's um, <laughs> it's actual scientists doing actual science, and there is a 
they will dissect a dead one that they found, which will be really interesting, but do be aware if you're squeamish that that's going to happen in the video. Uh, and basically just a lot of scientists talking about giant squid for the whole time, and it's really good. And again, 2019, so this is the most recent information. So amazing stuff. Go take a look at the giant squid documentary. I will do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. I will do that. That sounds great. Yes. yes. Cool. Hey, thanks everybody so much for listening to our podcast today. We really do appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was by Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Stacey and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. Woohoo! It's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who's eight years of age or younger that wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on our Facebook or email at us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com. For the details, we make it super easy for your Rugrat to hear their voice on our podcast. Who have we got talking about squids today? We have Liliana. Liliana has something to say about squid. Squid. Okay, they, what do you know about squid? They have ten tentacles and... They just have suction cups and a beagle and uh, a, a, a beak, a beak <laughs> that can um um grab food. They have tentacles that can grab food, and they use them to bring it to their beagle. And um, they lay <laughs> eggs, and they're very poisonous to other creatures. And um, they can kill them, and they could. And we. And where do they live? They live in the, the um. They're all. They can change colors, and it's like their own species of language. And they can um. 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 Their their eggs are very poisonous to other creatures, and um. They can lay eggs, and they are. They hug each other with their arms. Oh. Where do they live? Uh -oh. They live in uh -oh. the ocean. Good job. Nice. They hug each other with their arms. They do. That's awesome. I didn't know about the poisonous <laughs> eggs, though. I'm going to have to look into that. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that was Good great. Work. Thank you, Liliana. Thank you, Liliana. Good job. Good job. Thanks, everybody, again Sweet. for listening. And until next time. Be nice to animals. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com. Super interesting and fun, and here it is. Here's a tiny little sample. Okay, they, what do you know about squid? They have ten tentacles. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's not it. <laughs> Hang on. <sighs> my sound pad app is a butthole. <laughs> well, it's not going to shoot any ink out. Because <laughs> it's not a butt thing. <laughs> Just far, far All right, deep. you. Is that it? Uh, You're throwing, throwing me off that, over here. That Hang was, on. That was it, yeah. Sorry. So that was it? Okay.